Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Whatever your faith is, uh, or whatever your spirituality or your lack of spirituality is, uh, the statistical significance of your existence is enough uh, to preserve it. Yeah. Like how just the rarity of just you exist and that's nuts. Like think of the weirdest, most unlikely thing in the world. And it's not as unlikely as the fact that you're breathing. All right. Yeah. Welcome to the Jeff Mara podcast. For those of you who are listening on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you are, there is also a video of this on YouTube on the Jeff Mara podcast channel. So you can check that out as well. And tonight's guest is Dustin Fox. Dustin had a near-death experience in prison after he overdosed on bath salts. And he had a conversation with a godlike being. Besides having this, he also has a podcast called Worth the Fight, which we'll find out about that as well. Dustin, thank you so much, brother, for coming to the podcast. Thanks so much, Jeff. Uh, this is awesome. I've never been a guest on a podcast. Uh, so, And this is actually really my first time really talking this whole experience out as well as as kind of you know, in any kind of public setting. This might be really interesting for you. If I cry, just keep going. Just, oh, just oh, ask okay. the next question. Okay, great. So let's start at the beginning. Um, and feel free to start wherever you like, but you were in prison and you said you'd overdosed on bath salts. So let's just start there. What? I'm not <laughs> even sure what are bath salts and how do you overdose on those? Uh, I'm not sure what bath salts are either. I'm not sure if anyone is, uh, it's, I, what I understand about it, um, is that it is a designer drug. Um, it was really popular. I know in the news a little while back, cause it made some people do some really, really bizarre and violent things, mm -hmm. uh, while under the influence. So I know there was one woman who had murdered her baby while in the car seat of her car, uh, wow. while on bath salts. And so it kind of became known, it even became known as, uh, uh, that's kind of this trope of like people eating other people's faces where they mm. sort of were doing these cannibalistic things um, while on this drug. And so that was, mm. that's what, if you look up bath salts, you might find weird stories like that. Anyway, so that's, that's what I think that I was on. <laughs> There's no uh, real prescription labels on prison drugs, of course. Right. Um, so I can't be totally sure, but um, I didn't, mean to take any drugs uh the the my best guess is while i was in prison that uh we have these there's these bags of essentially pre-made coffee like the like the folgers instant coffee crystals mm -hmm. that you can buy and then you just add water to them and you make coffee from them and mm -hmm. uh my i'm pretty certain that what had happened was my bag of coffee somehow became uh drug laced Oh, wow. uh, whether that was on purpose or I switched bags with someone else or something like that. I'm not totally sure, obviously. Um, so I love coffee. Uh -huh. I am from Portland. Yeah. And so uh, I would just drink my coffee, you know, in just large doses and then just go on these, you know, three really notable uh, trips over the course of about 30-ish days 
um, mm-hmm. including kind of the recovery as well. So uh, that's kind of how I got. There. I mean, I, I uh, obviously went to prison. This was in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, so spent most of that year in prison. That was on um, some ID theft charges. Right. Um, and th- but I'd never been to prison. I never really was a part of that world. And so I just uh, didn't really. I, I wasn't really paying attention and just didn't know the rules of that area, that, that lifestyle, you know? Right. Um, so anyway, so made some dumb decisions and mm. ended up on drugs and that's, that's the setting the scene, if you will, right. of, uh, of the experience. Yeah. It's interesting because when I think of bath salts, I initially think of, um, Epsom salts, like, you know, yeah. I, I don't know, I think it's potassium something and you, and, you know, you, you soak in the bathtub and it relieves joint pains right. and stuff. And I think they can also use some kind of derivative of that. If not that, you put a little bit of that in the water and it cleans out your intestinal system. Okay. Man, I was yeah, this is was just the street name. It's oh, just okay. a nickname a for it. There's no bath salts in it right. as far as I know. And what is um, – when you des- I'm sorry to interrupt you, but when you described it, I remember a year, a couple years ago, they, I thought it was synthetic marijuana that they had at where people were doing some weird stuff. There was some kind of drug, street drug, and people were like becoming zombies and eating people. And, and That sounds like the same thing. Yeah. That's uh, what it was. I mean, it was, I think it's been referred to as the zombie drug, and I can go into how I'm kind of understand and empathize with mm-hmm. those people based on what I experienced. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a funny thing. And actually, there's a funny experience where I had a, at one point I had a, a roommate who um, was this very, very kind lady. She's uh, was in her 60s and she had gone out and bought me some Epsom salts for my bath because I had just gotten a massage and she was just being nice. Uh-huh. And uh, she had set them outside and then she uh, sent me this frantic text saying, hey, you know, I'm so sorry. I just remember you said that you had overdosed in bath salts and I don't, you know, I don't want to like, like she had just like, you know, brought home beer to an alcoholic's house or something. (laughs) And I just had to have this huge laugh and, and, you know, no, it is not common salt that we're talking about here. Or otherwise we'd be all getting very high from, you know, probably much longer ago. So it wouldn't have taken this long to discover. So no, I think it's got some meth in it or, Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I really don't totally know. Mm -hmm. Um, but it has some interesting, uh, at least in my case. And again, these drugs aren't really pure. Right. So they're often, you know, 10% or more or more or less, or, you know, kind of amalgamation of all these different street drugs that are out there at the moment or whatever's available or cheap, you know? Right. I guess someone just either was messing with you or yeah, like you got the wrong, you got the wrong coffee that day or who knows what. Yeah. And that's a really expensive prank Mm -hmm. when you're in prison and you don't have a whole lot of money. Uh, and uh, even a really expensive way to get back at someone if you had an issue with them. And so my my money is on the fact that I just accidentally took someone else's. Right. Uh, and that maybe they were, you know, probably brought it in and were trying to pass it off as some other drug and sell it or something like that. I don't know. Right. Um, but instead, I just drank it. <laughs> wow. So. You know, I've also heard that for dogs that can sniff out drugs, they hide drugs in coffee mm. so the dogs can't smell it. And I'm wondering. Yeah, if that makes a, sense. And I wonder if there's any possibility that some drugs were in the coffee grounds and leaked into the coffee, and somehow something like that. Or yeah, and I'm very confident that it was in the coffee because uh, 
it really both, you know, all three really major trips that I w- went on mm-hmm. uh, happened right after I just sort of went on like a, you know, a coffee binge for that night where I just right. wanted to stay up for whatever reason or just right. really liked coffee that day or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it, it's, it's really interesting. And then interestingly, uh, this drug also didn't show up on any of the uh, drug tests that mm-hmm. I took at least while it was in my system. And so wow. I don't know if that's normal or um, that was one indication to me early on that it was, in fact, not just a street drug, that it was something else. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, if you don't mind me asking, have you had any experience with drugs prior to this? So uh, interestingly, so this is a little bit part of the story, but uh, after I had had my just, you know, at the time, you know, I'm still in prison. I'm, uh, I had just had this insane, you know, like I said, death experience, what, mm-hmm. what I perceive as a full on death mm-hmm. um and then recovered enough that they had decided that i was just taking up space in the in the prison hospital so they moved me to you know another cell mm. and sitting with this guy and just trying to figure out what had happened mm-hmm. and so just ruling out and i had kind of had it in my head at that point that okay maybe there i was under the influence of some kind of a drug right um and so as because of that, and I was talking, my cellmate happened to be a pretty prominent drug dealer oh. uh, in the area and was bringing in drugs, mm-hmm. uh, very high quality drugs, as far as I could tell. And so uh, he is explaining, I'm talking to him about my experience and saying, hey, what does this sound? You know, I'm just I'm just talking, you know, because mm-hmm. there's nothing else to do. And uh, I'm saying, you know, maybe I was on meth. And he goes, no, no, you're mm-hmm. not on meth. Uh, and I go, okay. And he's, you know, I, I kind of keep telling the story. He goes, no, this is a design, designer drug. And I think you're on bath salts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I later confirmed uh, to the best that I could mm-hmm. that with uh, a friend of mine uh, who was a doctor who kind of went and did her own research as well and, and kind of said, well, you know, we can't be certain, but the, your experience checks out. Um, and so because of that, to answer your question, I actually tried meth, the mm-hmm. pretty pure meth, uh, to just see. Right. If maybe I'm just the kind of guy that want to take a little bit of meth that I mm-hmm. have this experience. And so I was like, you know what? I have to know. And so I just took a dose of it there that, that my cellmate had brought in. Right. Um, and had a wonderful experience. Mm. Oh, <laughs> and wow. it was, uh, it was just like drinking just a really, really strong cup of coffee that lasted a very long time and made me very, uh, creative mm-hmm. and alert. I, I mean, I stayed up all night and I, I, did these really elaborate sketches on envelopes and I wrote very, very long letters to everyone that was in my address book and just mm-hmm. ran out of things to do, you know? Um, and then, you know, the sun would be up and I would, I just was kind of kind of euphoric and just kind of ready to go. So mm-hmm. that's a little more, that's what a small dose, you know, a reasonable dose of meth to someone who isn't addicted to it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of that initial effect uh, for me anyway. And mm-hmm. so not the same drug by any stretch. There was no real similarities Mm. Um, except for the fact that I stayed awake, that would be probably the one. Oh, wow. All right. So yes, yeah, so that's the only real street drug. And then, you know, maybe I think, mushrooms once or something like that. Right. I think that isn't meth the one that people like to take it and go dancing all night and go to raves. Is that what they take? Yeah. Meth, uh, keeps you essentially awake and energetic and kind of manic. I think you could say, um, for, weeks at a time, depending on your, you know, so wow. that's, that's typically what happens is you go on sort of like a, you know, a bender, um, and 
you know, just, you know, so it's, it's not, I mean, I think Coke, depending on where you are is a bit more of like a party drug. Cause you can sort of take it. And then if you want to sleep the next day, you can, Right. <laughs> but, uh, meth is very much, you know, once you, once you come down, you want to stay up because you actually, you get pretty sick when you come all the way down. Oh, wow. Um, so it kind of just makes you, this is just, like I said, I haven't ever been on one of these, but right. this is what I hear and understand from people that I know who have had that experience. Hmm. That's interesting. All right. So let's go with the first time you had some coffee, like yeah. normal coffee. You like, it sounds like you like to drink it in the evening because you like, to, I mean, I guess there's nothing to do and while you're in your cell. So you just kind of make your own weird hours or whatever and stay up all night and do stuff. And then what? Happens? Yeah, there's really, yeah. And, and especially at the place that I was at, there was, there was just almost all of our time was spent just in that cell that actually was was overcrowded so there was two beds three people uh, in the in the particular cell that i was in and so my bed was the floor at this time Mm -hmm. so the main thing just i'll just jump right into the actual trip um and i have my little paper notes here because one interesting thing i mean it as you can imagine things like hallucinations and dying and all these things are they're really difficult after the fact to describe Right. When you're on like, you know, this side, if you will, and you're conscious and you're thinking clearly and not, mm-hmm. you know, spinning around and dead. Right. And so uh, I really just done my best to, to try to make it make sense. But these are, this is my experience. Right. Um, so the main thing that happened is, um, yeah, I just made my coffee and I just have, it's just like one of those little shaker bottles, like to make protein shakes. Okay. Um, and you would just take your little dry coffee, you scoop it in there and then put water in it and then shake it up and there's your coffee, right? So I would have that re- probably, I mean, two, three times a day at least mm-hmm. um, of a, you know, a really, really good amount. Um, so did that. And then, the, so the first thing that I, that happened, it, that sort of the first rip, the, you know, tear in reality, if you will, was what I call body hallucinations. And so I started having these experiences where uh, it felt like my, the inside of my body was moving, rotating, mutating, just doing something that it's not supposed to do. And I would stand for, and I remember there's two other people in my cell with me who were just sort of like watching this whole thing happen. Uh, And I, I would just be standing in, there's this just little mirror, if you will. It's like a, you know, a dirty, you know, dishpan that's made of steel, um, and I'm just staring at it, just s- trying to figure out if I'm seeing what I think I'm seeing, which is, you know, I have my shirt off and there's just these weird sort of like things moving, like bones moving, muscles moving, just slowly just moving, like, like maybe like the currents of an ocean all, all around my body. Right. And I'm turning to the people who, my cellmates who are with me and saying, do you see anything on my body moving? Like I'm trying to get a gauge for reality and uh and they're just not responding to me they're just Hmm. like looking the other way because uh they this is common in terms of you know you're someone that you are living with who you can't really choose who you live with they're just doing some weird stuff because of because they chose to take some drugs so it's not it's not really that uncommon and so they just you know for whatever reason they're just like we're just gonna ignore this guy and let him come down Right. So that, of course, made me more panic because there's nothing really more panic inducing than being on hallucin. You know, in my case, drugs that make you hallucinate, but not knowing that you did. You know, if you're if you're on a trip 
because you took some mushrooms or some LSD or something, mm-hmm. there's a part of your brain that goes, okay, this is weird, but I did just do LSD a second ago. Right. So that's probably what's going on. But I didn't have any idea that I had given myself the drugs. Right. So just was terrifying. And so anyway, so the body hallucinations happened and the, the main characteristic of that, that went on for um, a couple days, but it was essentially that my intestines were just moving, just shifting to different parts of just my entire body. Whereas, you know, normally they're kind of in, I assume in your stomach area. Um, so almost like a, like a jump rope, they would just sort of go up and over and then wrap kind of, you know, around my head under my skin and then come back down. And this would be going on over the course of hours. So very, mm. very slowly um, and just sort of like unraveling. Right. So that just sort of affected all of these other weird things. And this is, this is sort of like a three ish day time period where I'm not sleeping. Um, and I'm just sort of like laying on my bed, just wondering what to do with myself because my body is, I feel, I feel like if I, start walking or moving around or something I might damage or even kill myself. Mm. And so I'm just sort of laying there just hoping it'll subside. And at one point it, they, uh, they start wrapping the intestines in my mind, uh, start wrapping around my rib cage sort of like this. And then my rib cage starts rotating almost like a turntable mm-hmm. just around in my chest. Mm-hmm. And uh, to obviously horrified by that. Um, and then at another point, and this is where I sort of understand, um, the tendency of, you know, when you read the stories about bath salts, where they talk about, um, there's the really famous one that I know the most detail about is the woman who, um, who believed or, or saw, or, you know, experienced that she was taking her, uh, I believe her son, who was an infant, who's in the car seat in the back seat. Um, they were driving somewhere and she sees a, a demon essentially, inside of her child something you know i don't know if she sees the face or what mm-hmm. um and she turns and and shoots the baby with a firearm in the face wow. and then uh interestingly drives straight to the police station this is what i understand about the story and uh goes in and tells the police hey there's a demon inside of my baby i don't know what to do and so very clearly not someone who's you know committing a crime and trying to get away um and so I, I understand an element of that because those sorts of body hallucinations where you're just, you know, sort of humans just start just morphing around and maybe it's you or someone around you. It's just very, very weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things that I did that I can't even tell you why is that I, with my hands over the course of probably a couple, I, I don't know how long, maybe an hour, um, I physically popped both of my kneecaps just out of their sock. I dislocated them. Wow. Um, just with force. Uh, and I think I, some way I just thought that that might help this, the process of, mm-hmm. of getting over this thing that was going on in my body. I don't remember now, mm-hmm. obviously it sounds silly now. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what I did. And, uh, and so that was kind of the main, the, the threat of that first one was just like, man, is there something in my body? Am I being poisoned? Is there something in the food they're giving us? Um, mm-hmm. what's causing this to go on in my body? I, I just didn't really know. So Anyway, that on for I went on for quite a while, and I went and tried to go to uh, the hospital that they had there at the prison. Um, didn't have a lot of success talking with them because they, I looked like a crazy person describing what I was experiencing, and they just, uh, you know, they write you off very quickly as someone who just clearly chose to take drugs and is on drugs, and you know should just go wait it out basically. Right. So 
that was that main one. And there's, there's also some other, uh, I'm leaving out some like more, uh, just like, uh, gruesome details. If you are about like bowel movements and like the, all of those sorts of different things too, that are kind of part of that. And that's the, um, it's an interesting thing to me about most, like when you hear a lot of near death experiences or, or perceived death experiences, uh, in my mind, if, if they leave out bodily functions, gross bodily functions, I have a hard time believing them because it's, it's gross death. But, and, and like when your body shuts down and all those things, these natural things happen, right? Oh yeah. Um, you know, that's a very interesting <laughs> point that you made about that is, you know, your body dies, your nervous system shuts down, you relax, and then you have a bowel movement. You may have a urination, right. all these things, you know, happen at death. Right. And so, you know, obviously I, I don't think that I physically died. My body died because it's here right now, but, mm. um, definitely a lot of those experiences are part of it, part of right. the story. So, uh, anyway, so that was my first trip. After the first trip, the drug wore off and you just came down and that was about it. And you just, after, I think you said three days and you just kind of felt back to normal and, and that yeah. So it. about, about three days was the duration that it, went on for and i may have even dosed again in that time because obviously i didn't realize what i was how i was dosing myself Mm -hmm. um and then yeah i just came down Mm -hmm. uh though not fully because i would i would say that psychologically and maybe biologically i'm not sure um it probably took me about eight months to really get back to normal uh from those experiences so that's from all of them cumulatively Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, these, all three of these happened within about a month period. Um, and so, uh, it's difficult to say how lucid I was, but I definitely kind of came back and I was, uh, feeling at least for a second, Mm -hmm. uh, near the end for at least probably a couple of days that, you know, maybe my intestines weren't going to strangle me. Right. Yeah. I'll just let you carry on. I don't have any more questions after that. We'll go to the next episode of what happened. Yeah. So, and there's three of them, uh, that are all very, uh, yeah, they're, they're sort of different themed, I guess you could say. But, uh, the second one was where uh, I had the death experience. Mm -hmm. So this had happened, you know, like I said, I had already, um, I had already gone to the infirmary once. Um, and it's just a terrible experience because it's, it's both painful physically and just, uh, it's just the pain of the neck and to just have to interact with guards and have to be taken to the hospital and back. So you really don't go unless you absolutely have to. Um, and they really won't take you unless they absolutely have to. Right. And so I had to like formally declare a medical emergency because I started feeling, uh, really just not great again physically. And I think at a certain point it's sort of got into my head that, okay, I think there's something in my body and, and there was <laughs> obviously, but, I, but I hadn't put together that maybe this was drugs, but I thought something is in there and I just, feel like it needs to get out. And so, um, you know, I'm starting to have, you know, I hadn't, uh, I hadn't gone to the bathroom in any capacity in, in I think three or four days and starting to feel pain from this. And it was, I don't know if that was part of an effect of the drug or what, but ended up declaring a, a medical emergency. And then, then they haul me back out into, uh, the medical facility again. Mm-hmm. So I go in there and, uh, I'm describing to this room full of people. There's, um, there's a nurse there, um, this woman who's really, really nice, um, but just was kind of there doing her job. I think this was the middle of the night, probably 2 or 3 a.m. And then there was uh, this doctor slash psychologist. I'm not, you know, he might have been in charge of the infirmary there. I'm not sure. 
And I had already talked to him and he had already kind of blown me off in my whole story. Right. And then uh, at this point, it seemed like the, the guards were kind of starting to become afraid of me or just didn't know what I was going to do next because there was like, there's about six of them and they were all like blocking the door. Hmm. So it's sort of like standing kind of directly over me while I'm sitting in this chair, you know, and I'm handcuffed and all this. And, uh, and they're just waiting for me. I don't know to Hulk out or do something crazy. Um, mm-hmm. And I, in my mind, I'm fully lucid and I'm just trying to explain to these people, you know, I, there's something inside of my body that's trying to get out and I don't know what it is. It feels like, my intestines are moving around, you know, and of course this sounds ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So I sit down on the table and they go, okay, well, we'll like, you know, do whatever normal checkups they do um, really just to kind of make me happy and give me a reason to send me back. Mm-hmm. And uh, doctor looks at me and he says, okay, what do you, what do you want us to do for you? What, what can we do to help you? Mm-hmm. And I said, I want an enema (laughs) or I said, I want laxatives. I said, give me laxatives because I thought maybe I can flesh this thing out, whatever it is. If it's a a creature or a robot or food or whatever the thing, poison, you know, I just need it out. And so uh, they go, okay, well we can give you some laxatives. Sure. And so I go, okay, cool. So meanwhile, um, at a certain point, uh, the energy of the room just kind of skyrocketed. Um, I, Somebody, this nurse I was talking about that was on this side of me over here, mm-hmm. she's uh, taking my blood pressure while I'm talking to this guy. And he kind of, she turns to this guy and, or just, I think maybe even points or shows him my blood pressure. And then everyone kind of starts like, they kind of jump into action really quickly. So I think mm-hmm. that it was very high. Right. Uh, and so the, the cops kind of like get shoot out of the room and then the doctor kind of like whips around and he's, and I'm, uh, I'm like at this point kind of unable to talk and I, and, and I'm feeling like my intestines cause there's, you know, they've been moving slowly through my, you know, over my body this whole time. And they're starting to come over like my, like larynx in the front of my throat. And that had happened a few times earlier that day. And it tends to result in what, you know, again, I perceived as like 20 to 30 seconds of not really being able to breathe until mm-hmm. it passed over and then kind of went through again. So I'm experiencing that again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they're, you know, looking shocked from my point of view and, you know, what's going on, what's this guy doing? And so, uh, anyway, so they, they kind of spring into action. And so, uh, they, this, this cop kind of like comes in and this was, uh, you know, I'm skipping a lot, but all of the, the times where I had attempted to explain to somebody that, you know, someone official that was part of this, prison what what i was experiencing none of them took any part of what i was saying seriously at any point um and if they did i think they just saw it as like well that's really going to make today a lot of work (laughs) for me and so they just sort of didn't respond to it in any sort of like humane way right um and then so the uh this guy who i think i found out later is you know one of the main uh corrections officers at this place uh he kind of jumps in pushes all these other guys, they go, they leave the room and he comes and he sits down and he gets right up next to my face. And he's like, okay, uh, talk to me. So you have these intestines are in your body. Where are they right now? Are they right here? And he's sort of like touching different parts of my body, you know, on my chest. And, and I'm saying, yeah, it's here. You know, now it's over here, you know? And so he's doing that for a while. Um, the nurse is over on this other side of me, just slowly getting more and more freaked out and, and telling, uh, the, officer on the other side of me 
we need to, we need to calm him down. Like we need to lower his heart rate. And so he's telling me, you know, Hey, I want you to help me, but you have to stay with me and like breathe and try to calm your body down. Right. Which I was not having. So anyway, at a certain point he just says, all right, here we go. And so he just takes me just, you know, shoves his hand out of my body and just flips me all the way over and says, okay, we're going to give you an enema because there's, you know, whatever's inside of you, we're just going to get it out. So, uh, at that point I black out <laughs> and, uh, um, and then the next thing that I remember, uh, well, I wake up again, uh, at, at, at some other point I'm on the table. I know that, um, they, oh, they also gave me Ativan, which I found out later, I think is, uh, something to, to try to reduce heart rate at, at another point. Um, and I remember hearing, uh, the, uh, this, the, the nurse who's over on this side of me, I'm in the 200 ish beats per minute range of, on my heart rate. And, and what I learned, um, most people probably don't know what that means. Um, like usually like 160 beats to, you know, like on a very high end, probably like 190 beats per minute is like really, really intense work or, you know, exercise. Um, and I actually had just recently talked to a friend right before this, who said that their, I think their mom, uh, that her heart had exploded at 300 beats because they couldn't slow down her heart rate. Wow. And so I knew that was high. Uh, and, uh, anyway, at a certain point I was able to get it down. Um, and this nurse on the side of me is just stunned, like feels, you know, is, is feeling like she just saw some, you know, some kind of miracle or, you know, something irregular where she's just amazed that I'm survived this spike in, in, uh, in heart rate. That's what I got from just her kind of reactions to everything. Mm -hmm. So then blackout, I come to, and I'm, uh, walking down the hallway and this, there's a nurse trying to get me to what ends up being the recovery room. So they're just trying to like move me from the room. I was just staying to this room where I'll stay the night and they'll watch me. And, uh, she's telling me where to go. And I'm not really present in my body and I'm, and I'm not, uh, thinking like, I, I, like all logic has just sort of left. And so she's saying, Hey, you know, take a right here. And I'm just, I'm either not hearing or perceiving it or not. I forgot which, which direction right was like, it was like he, she was speaking a different language to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she would have to physically push me this way or say, Hey, you know, this way, which way is left, which way is right. And I would say, I'd have to think about it and you know, go like this and, okay, it's this way, you know, and, uh, just really my whole brain sort of reset. Right. So she gets me to this room and, uh, she's, you know, she gets me in this bed and she's showing me, you know, here's the, here's this little red button to call the nurse. She goes, if you, if you push, if you pull this button up, this red button up, then the nurse will come. And, you know, so if you need something, pull this button up and I'll just, I just sort of stared at her. Like I, didn't know what she was talking about. And she goes, buttons up, which way is up? And I'm just looking at her. She goes, what color is this? I I can't tell her. And I just have completely lost the ability to communicate with this person. Right. Mm -hmm. So at some point I just kind of like repeating after her and okay, up red button up nurse. Got it. Okay. So then they, she leaves. And then I'm, I must've fallen asleep and woken back up again, or somehow, you know, maybe blacked back out or something. I'm not sure. Um, and then uh, woke up and basically with no memories. 
Um, I didn't know. I, one of the things, and this is actually very common of um, a, a lot of psychedelic, you know, medicines in the psychedelic category, which are many, mm-hmm. um, is one of them is you disassociate from your ego, meaning your who you believe you are or what you is conceptually in your brain, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's everything. That's my name, you know, who my family is, what, you know, who I love or who I, you know, what makes my personality, anything like that. It just fully detached. Mm. Uh, so I wake up and I'm, I'm not only in this, you know, just concrete room where I don't know where I am, but I also don't know who I am or like what I means. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, and so just very, you know, a blank slate mentally. Um, and that was sort of the beginning of that, that death that I kind of experienced over that, uh, that night. Um, let me check my notes here to see if I, let me ask you this real quick before you check it. And I hate to interrupt you, but I just had this question after the first episode, did you realize that it came from the coffee yet? No, not no, uh, that was not till probably uh, the, after the after the entire experience when I was kind of lucid enough to look back and think, okay, when did I start? Uh, when did things start like melting around me? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started putting that together with the help of talking it out with some people, but mm-hmm. it really didn't. And then obviously in hindsight, it's super obvious. Okay. Um, but you know, coffee was just a part of my day, like breathing, and so I didn't. I just didn't put that together fully. Right. I wonder if also that the drug was magnified with caffeine, you know, because caffeine can be kind of powerful in a way. Well, especially the, uh, the, the upper effects of the drug that, you know, the effects of the drug that make you, uh, more manic and more, uh, energetic and an- anxious definitely mm-hmm. would be, you know, that's what caffeine does right. to a lesser extent. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, anyway, I just had no idea who I was. Uh, and I remember even, um, you know, I'm just sort of like, you know, and ironically, what's funny about this whole experience that I'm about to lay out at, in this room is that I was being watched the entire time uh, by someone that, mm-hmm. on video. And I I don't think at any point really put that together at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking, you know, this is either some kind of afterlife and I just – you know, to, but what I, what I had perceived was, okay, I must've died. Uh, I must've had some kind of a stroke or heart attack because I, I remember, uh, that. And, uh, I think I'm dead now. And I think this is what death is. Mm-hmm. And I was raised, I, I should probably say I was raised in the church in the Christian church. And so, uh, that's kind of my, you know, what my beliefs, mm-hmm. uh, you know, still kind of stem from. And, you know, that was just what I knew growing up. Right. And so, at the point where you had kind of lost your ego, but you were in a, like a cell room or something. And I was, you, and that's when you felt like, okay, I must've died. And this is where I am now. Um, that was my first thought. And that's actually not what I consider the death experience that oh. comes a little later. But, okay. um, but again, I'm just sort of like, I'm having these experiences and my brain is just trying to f- take all of this input and just come up with a solution for what's going on mm-hmm. so I can escape. Right. Right. Um, because if it's, if someone's poisoning the food I'm eating at the prison, then I should stop eating and that would fix it. And if it's, you know, whatever, if I'm dead, like there's nothing I can do or, you know, whatever the reason is, I'm just trying to get a grasp on where I am and what's going on. Um, so yeah, so I looked in, uh, there was, 
kind of a, a window where, you know, there was a door where, where an officer or whoever, you know, a nurse could come into the room and uh, there's an adjacent window where I could look in and I could see that they had taken um, my, I had these little, this ID card, like an inmate ID, like a driver's license. Mm-hmm. Um, and it said my name and, you know, number and all that stuff and has a photo of me. And I remember going in, you know, trying to figure out where I am and maybe there's some clues, right? And I go in and I see this ID card and it's got my face on it and my name and this number that identifies me. And I remember just staring at it for what felt like hours just trying to figure out who this, like, who is this guy and why did they put this here? Is it, you know, was he here before me? Is he still in this room? What's going on? Uh, and I just had, did, you know, there's no point part of my brain that thought, Hey, that's me. What? Oh, that's my name. Okay, cool. And then move on. Um, did you feel like you so had it, amnesia or something? Maybe it was similar to amnesia. Um, I did still have memories and they kind of came and went later and I'll, I'll get to that here, but um, it was more like a, a detachment from myself. So I think, and we can get philosophical here if you want, you know, but um, the, like the concept of self. So, so when you think about yourself, what are the things that you think about that make you, you and make you not me, mm-hmm. right? There's differences in the way we think, probably differences in what the way we believe. Like, you know, if we both got punched in the face, we would probably each react differently like because there's we're just different. So what are those things? Is it your name, your social security number, your you know your zodiac sign, whatever it is for you? That idea, and even uh, you know who you know where you came from, and you know all of that just wasn't there. And so I and I didn't even feel I had full connection to my body either. And so those are the reasons why I thought at first maybe I'm dead because mm-hmm. uh, I'm also sort of thinking, okay, if I am dead, who was I mm-hmm. before I woke up? You know. And it just, it, there just was no concept of, it's really difficult to explain if you've never been on, um, you know, a hallucinogenic trip of that nature. Um, but it's very, it ended up being out, you know, eye opening. I, I think there's other safer mm-hmm. ways to get this wisdom, right. um, but, uh, but you know, it, there are some lasting positive effects from that as well. So anyway, so I'm doing that and I'm trying to figure out who I am, um, I, at this point, I'm starting to sort of get uh, glimpses of memories of my old life, but they don't feel like my memories. So there's, so it's sort of like somewhere between fully detached from ego and, okay, I know, like I have these names and people in my head and information about them, but it, but I'm not connecting that they're me or my family or my friends. And so I'm thinking, okay, what are these, what's all this, what are all these names in my head? And I would just kind of go through them like a contact list in your phone. And I'd be mm-hmm. like, who, you know, I'd say like my mom's name. I'd be like, who's she? Mm-hmm. What's she? Was she, you know, I'm trying to think of clues and like who, you know, what I know about this person. And, you know, it, at no point in my head do I feel like it's my own mother. Um, and then I just go down the list of these people that are stuck in my head and thinking, who are they? Right. And uh, just really not sure what that is. And so I go through and I'm, you know, I'm skipping obviously quite a bit because uh, this is literally sort of an all night war going on in my head at this point. Um, and they had given me one book uh, next to this bed that I was in, in this little room. And the book was Cider House Rules, which uh, I had never really read. It's, I mean, it's not important what the book's about, but I think it's about like an abortion clinic and all the people that work there. Um, and 
I know it's a fairly popular book. And so I see this book and at first I'm, you know, earlier on in the night, I was unable to read uh, anything. And so I'm picking up the book sort of periodically throughout the night and just checking, you know, opening pages and just seeing if I recognize words to just give, you know, for just clues. But, you know, for a while, I'm just like, I don't know what any of this is. I can't perceive it. And so I just put the book down. Mm-hmm. Well, I go in there and I'm starting to get some reading skills back. And so I'm reading this book and I'm just trying to get some clues about who I was or what, you know, where I am. Right. So I go through this book and uh, I remember I saw uh, the, the name Adele was in this book. It was some, probably some character's name in the book uh, that was Adele. And I had this, uh, this just, it wasn't the truth, but this, just this total revelation that, you know, I was, I was very certain at that point that all of my life, basically all of my memories of, I mean, I'm in my thirties, right? So like all of those 30 plus years of memories, I had decided that was all a dream that I had last night. And so I'm, I'm going back to like, you know, how do I have all these, these thoughts and, you know, these people's names and all these things in my head. And I go and I see the word Adele and I go, Oh my God, that the, the woman, the singer Adele Mm -hmm. is fake. I made her up because I read her in this book and then I fell asleep Mm -hmm. and I just made her up. And I was like, that song rolling in the deep. I wrote that in my sleep. Mm -hmm. And that's not, that's not a real person. I just, and so then I, I had fully convinced myself that that whole, that just last night I had a 30 year dream where I was this person and that all these things happened and that I woke up and that it was actually not reality. Yeah. Um, and that's horrifying as you can imagine. Sure. Um, and then I had the, just the really horrifying thought that, Oh my God, what if this is every night for the rest of my life? Hmm. That every night is 30 years yeah. and I'm living maybe the same life, maybe a different one each time. I don't know. Um, and so that's what I convinced myself. Um, and then, you know, again, just trying to figure out, just trying to put some context to just all the crazy things going on around me. Um, my next hypothesis, uh, was, okay, maybe, uh, I am trapped inside my brain and that my body is actually somewhere else. And I'm just asleep right now, which Mm -hmm. I wasn't right. And so, and I actually had a friend that in real life who uh, is, you know, a really good friend of my family's who got into a motorcycle accident on the highway um, and had some really uh, severe brain trauma and had gotten to, uh, you know, especially in the very beginning, you know, we just had no idea if he was going to pull through at all. And uh, he uh, lost, a, you know, a ton of brain function as a result of that. Right. Mm. And so I had uh, latched onto his identity and thought to myself, I must be him. I must be, I won't say his name. Mm-hmm. We'll call him Kyle. Right. Um, so I was like, I must be Kyle. I was like, oh my, I, like, because I remember details about being in a motorcycle accident or about a motorcycle accident and having to go to the hospital and everyone being worried. And, you know, and I didn't really, I couldn't really remember how it ended. So I was like, that must be because that's me. And so I just had had this idea that, okay, so... I think I'm actually unconscious right now. Mm. And, you know, my, my mom and my family, you know, everybody that I love is just standing around me and I'm just unable to wake up and see them. And they're, they don't realize that I'm here Mm. and walking around. And so it just was this, 
incredibly trapped feeling where mm-hmm. I just, you know, I could, I could walk around that room for an eternity and, you know, punch the walls or do whatever, but I couldn't break through and wake up was right. the, you know, the feeling that I had. Right. So, um, so that scared me quite a bit. And then, um, anyway, so that, that, that was my perception for a while. And so the way I describe it is like, I, it's like my, um, if you think of your identity, like a balloon it, you know, in my head, it's a red balloon. Right. Mm-hmm. And everyone's just kind of holding their, their identity, like by a string while they walk around, just doing their thing, you know, living their life. Right. And that balloon kind of contains, you know, this is who I am. This is, you know, I'm a podcaster, I'm a musician, I'm a whatever I am. Right. Um, and you just sort of show everybody your balloon when you meet them and you, you know, you look at their balloon and you go, Oh, yours is blue and it's smaller than mine or, you know, mm-hmm. yours made a tinfoil, you know, whatever. And it was like, I had let go of my balloon mm-hmm. and it went away, mm-hmm. separated from my body. And, but then as the helium drained out of it and it started to come down it didn't it was trying to attach to someone mm-hmm. and couldn't figure out who and so if, so from that perspective it's just all these people down here and they're all just kind of walking around mm-hmm. and you're like who do i belong to and you're just trying on different people mm-hmm. trying to see which one fits that's that's kind of what that felt like mm-hmm. and so and that's i mean if you if depending on your spiritual background there's a lot of things that you can extrapolate from that like if you're um of more of like the Buddhist tradition, you could say that I was sort of like, there's like the universal ego. That's like what makes you one with the earth. And then there's kind of what we kind of segment off of that and say, oh, this is me, but really that you and I are like one big, you know, all just different segments of like a, a more, a, a bigger thing. Right? right. Or at least that we're all connected and our ourselves or whatever. So anyway, that's happening. And so I come down and then, um, at a certain point to, to just kind of fast forward a little bit, uh, my body just breaks way, way down and just starts to get a lot worse again. So heart rate goes up again. I am dizzy. Like I'm everything around me is spinning. I'm unable to really move at all. Um, I, any sort of movement, like if I try to put my feet down to stand up or walk, I just, I have no control or feeling in my feet. So I'm just unable to really control my own body at all. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like I'm dying. I, you know, I can feel myself sort of floating out for, you know, from, you know, being sort of like pulled out, like, like, uh, like hot cheese on pizza, you know, and the pizza's coming off the, the plate, but it's still kind of attached and it's, right. you know, doing this. Right. And so <laughs> I just made up that metaphor. I think it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so that's, I feel that happening and I am, you know, like I said, I was, I was raised Christian. And so, um, I'm just thinking, all right, I, I bet I could pray hard enough and, and this will stop or slow down maybe, you know, or it's, it's worth a try, you know, and you're, I'm, this is all kind of feels like it's happening in real time and I couldn't think of a better idea. So, uh, I'm just praying and I'm just crying out to God, you know, and, um, it's, I, I'm feeling like you know, as everything's kind of like twisting and sort of, uh, you know, almost like your arm being twisted behind your back and you're to the point of it breaking, but it hasn't quite hit that yet. And then when I sort of like concentrate and will hard enough, I could kind of get it to sort of like slow down or, or reverse a little. And then as soon as I would let up, it would go right back to it. And I just couldn't overpower it, uh, was what I had the kind of the perception of. And then I remember feeling like, I am 
elevating, like almost like uh, when you're in in a, uh, a roller coaster cart and you're going uphill right before you reach, go over the crest and then take the dive. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm just elevating uphill and there's just kind of nothing I can do to stop this ride that I'm on. Mm-hmm. Get to, you know, kind of what appears to be the top and I'm realizing, okay, if I don't like do something right now, then uh, I'm going to go over this edge. And, and in my head that what was on the other side was, there was no coming back from that. That was death. For right. it was final. Right. Um, and so I'm at that top and I'm, I'm looking over the edge, realizing that I, I, I'm, you know, in my head, I, I can't, I can't go over there. I got to try to fight this. And so, you know, I do, I try, I try, I try and just can't. Um, and then at a certain point I just sort of give up, let go. Um, and then, uh, I ascend further, you know, you could say I, was pulled out of the seat and kind of like pulled up higher. Um, and just sort of, uh, what I remember is having, you know, at this point, some kind of an encounter with what I believe to be God, mm-hmm. uh, or, um, you know, but to me, it appeared almost as, uh, as Jesus, the physical person of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, you could probably argue that whatever, you know, if someone else was raised in a different you know, religious tradition that maybe they'd see something else or someone else. I don't know. Right. Um, but I had this conversation with, you know, this thing, this being, mm-hmm. um, and I don't remember a lot of things, but I remember, um, really just apologizing. Um, and I remember, uh, feeling just not wanting to end my life, you know, not wanting it to end here and, right. and actually thinking a lot about, you know, who am I going to be leaving and hurting and, you know, damaging by leaving. Um, and so having this conversation with him and then he tells me, um, he goes, most of what we talk about right now uh, can't cross over. Like you can't, you can't remember it when you, if you go back. Um, so, and so he said, ask me anything. And I, I remember asking him, some things and I don't remember what they are. <laughs> and, uh, I remember, um, being really angry when he told me that I wouldn't remember anything if I went back mm-hmm. and saying, I just basically just defying him and just saying, no, that's, that's not true. Uh, and then basically sort of sliding back. So feeling like I'm, you know, kind of sliding backwards, going into more reality again. Mm-hmm. Um, and thinking to myself, really just willing myself and saying, you know, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm going to bring some of this, some of what he said back and I'm going to figure out what it means. Right. And, uh, and so I'm repeating, uh, repeating over and over again, like words and names that were told to me so that I could remember them when I came back. Right. right. It was like, I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to, re- to remember this information. Um, and we'll get back to that in a second. Let me ask so you then, this. Uh, let me interrupt you here. So yeah. when you saw this being, do you have any remembering of what the being looked like? I mean, did it, and not only what the person or being looked like, but in your area, like, were you in a darkened space, a lighted space? Do you remember where you were and, or did you hear anything besides his voice or was it telepathy and did you hear music or can you expand on any of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I I don't 
I definitely don't uh, perceive it as being a traditional heaven or hell that I, that I was at uh, for sure. And what I would, what I would say is that I, um, I don't remember uh, speaking with, you know, oxygen and lips and tongues and teeth and all that. So I, I do think there either was telepathy or, you know, the same experience could be said of, you know, when you dream and you just sort of like know that somebody thinks something or says something because you made it up in your head. So, I mean, I, but I don't remember uh, speech necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, uh, he definitely appeared to me as what in my head, I imagined Jesus Christ to look like, which was kind of a guy in a white robe. Um, and not, not actually, uh, I guess this is interesting, not really of any particular ethnicity, Mm-hmm. but um just sort of like just a very close sort of face and voice you know almost as like um just just sort of an enveloping sort of sound and it was it was very quiet and sort of like almost like you were inside their lungs sort of like everything was very loud and kind of all around you but he wasn't mm-hmm. speaking loudly mm-hmm. um and uh so i mean that that's kind of what i remember about him mm-hmm. um I think, oh, and then, and in terms of the setting, I don't think, I think that it was uh, sort of a media, a intermediary place, or that's what it, what it seemed like. So it didn't seem like that's, that where I was, was necessarily where I was going. Mm-hmm. If I decided to cross over, that was, I definitely had the perception that I hadn't fully crossed over yet, right. but that I had entered this sort of like fork in the road right. where I, you know, had to, you know, go over one way or the other and, you know, pick a side of the fence. Right. Um, so to me it was, um, it wasn't dark or light. It was sort of, I guess, kind of like a bluish. Um, and it, and if you picture like a camera with a really, really tight, uh, aperture and like, you know, everything, but the subject, like a person or a face was like out of focus in the background. Mm-hmm. It was all sort of like that. Every, everything was sort of smeared and, uh, gone except for myself and Jesus. Right. Right. Um, and, that's what I remember. It was moving. So, you know, not just sort of static around us, but just more of like a, um, like currents in an ocean, like I had said before. Um, so yeah. And, and like I said, I don't think that was the, that was my final destination. Um, but that's, that's what that was. And then what happened next is essentially I, I descended, um, into, um, more of what I would, I'm, I'm not sure how I would describe it, but, um, what basically happened is I, and I've actually, and doing a little bit of research after the fact, I found some others who've had similar experiences here. Um, I essentially, you know, started out with um, going down the path of, okay, what decisions led you here to your death? It was sort of like a, like a debrief of your life, right? And like, okay, where did you mess up here? And, go, you know, why, why did you go down all these paths? And, you know, who did you hurt along the way? What's all the negative, you know, the bad sort of how did how did you infect the world rather than heal it along your journey right until now um and i did that in reverse so it started with you know a few days ago i was thinking hey what decisions could i have made that would have been more morally upright that would have maybe not put me in the situation and i started kind of going through those and i i felt as though i was not re- remembering them i was physically transported to that spot and given the chance to uh, make a different decision to change my path, but in reverse, almost like unraveling, like maybe like a cassette tape, you know, that was 
so that I, it can be played again, you know, but you have to start from the end. So I did that. And it was, that was really interesting to me, uh, philosophically, because, um, if you're familiar with the Christian tradition, um, not even so much, I think scripture or the Bible, but just kind of the tradition of, of that humans have made it over the years. Um, it's very, uh, there's a lot of talk of repentance, uh, it's kind of the word that they use, or, you know, we, we would call it like forgiveness more in layman terms. Right. And that idea is, uh, nowadays means, uh, say you're sorry, don't do it again and be better next time. Right. Something we can all get behind, but, but more so, uh, the kind of the original meaning of that word that was, that was more accepted back in the day when it was, uh, when it was put to paper and called scripture, uh, it actually meant to, go back and, and make amends for the thing you did and change direction rather than apologize and then continue with your life. Sort of like the no regrets versus like, no, 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 I'm going to actually go and change the course of what happened here and do whatever I can to reverse it and do whatever I have to do to make myself a better person that doesn't do that anymore to people. Right. So a little bit more personal responsibility. So interestingly with this experience is that I didn't feel like I was just it didn't feel like, like, you know, like the, um, I think it's a Christmas Carol where Scrooge goes back and they go, Hey, this is remember when you did this? Well, here's what really happened. And here's the perspective of these guys that you damaged in some way. And then he says, Oh, I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. It wasn't that it was a chance to physically be dropped back into that situation and prove with my actions that I was willing to do it the correct way rather than just, Oh man, that's, I shouldn't have done that. Okay. Well, next life I'll do better. Um, so that was really, that was a big difference to me and something that I actually brought back with me um, is just the, I mean, it's, you could easily kind of distill it and say actions speak louder than words, but really the, the, maybe a better way to say that is communicating that you are, like an apology is better communicated with action than with words or with even sincerity, you know, being, oh, you know, I'm so sorry or, oh, you know, but, but saying with your actions, something different. So that's what I felt like happened. And so that basically started with a few days previous because I've been in the hospital for a few days. So that's kind of the most recent decision that I could have made. And then, uh, just went backwards through my entire life until I was too young to make decisions and, uh, basically just unraveled all of those decisions. And I had this really interesting, and I may not be able to describe this uh, as well, but it was a huge epiphany to me at the time that um, I've been very fascinated for most of my life about perceptions of heaven and hell and where they come from. And I know, you know, especially in the Christian tradition, there's it's rife with lore, if you will, about these places that we go. Right. Um, and you could you could boil it way down and be super simplistic and say uh, the basic idea is you die. And if you were good, you go up. And if you're bad, you go down and you can, you can't go back. And, uh, so be good, you know, or if you're a Christian, you might say, uh, if you accept Jesus and what he wants for you and give your life to him, or if you say these words in this order after I do, or, you know, whatever the thing is, you have two options and it's forever mm-hmm. and you can't go back from that. So one of them is a punishment. One of them is the ultimate reward, right? Right. And I've always been really fascinated by that because it didn't line up with what I would consider to be a loving, 
being that, you know, made these creatures to sort of be part of his family and be, you know, his sons and daughters and like, didn't really add up. I, I couldn't really think of any good fathers that would create a place for everyone to be tortured forever in the worst possible way forever. Like, and, right. you know, and if they didn't do what he wanted, he would say, that didn't sound, I just had some issues and that's really simplistic. I had other more complex issues, but all that to say, I had this epiphany where I realized, and I'll, I'll try to describe this best I can, but, you know, as I'm going through this sort of like tunnel, maybe you could say, or just uh, this trajectory where, you know, let's say, you know, today is Thursday, right? And so I go back to this morning or I go back to Wednesday and I think about, you know, I had this argument with, I didn't actually, but you know, I had this argument with my girlfriend and I said these things and it made her feel devalued. And so she said some angry stuff at me and then we left on bad terms and I fell asleep and then, you know, whatever. So I go back to yesterday and then I have a choice to change the trajectory of that conversation. And, you know, in this case I died today. Mm-hmm. So if I make the same decision I made last time, it's going to end in my death. Cause that's where that road leads. But if I make a better decision, maybe I live the next day mm. and then I can keep going. So it's just like navigating that whole process. Right. And so I'm doing that. And when I, when I essentially, it's not, there's no right or wrong answers, but it's just that if I make, if I keep getting stuck and, you know, not being able to, you know, I'll use the word repent again, right. Being able to relive the same situation, but do it in a way that's, that's exudes love and oneness and, um, you know, is healthy or, you know, is doing good and not harm. Then I'm just going to go, I'm just going to reverse back to the day before it. And I'm just going to keep doing that and I can either, and I will never die because I will just kind of go back to that day and just repeat it as many times as I want. Right. So that, so I'm sort of starting to realize as I'm going through, you know, maybe these, like you could think of it as like dungeon rooms where like you beat one dungeon, you go to the next or you, you know, whatever. And I'm realizing in my head as I'm going through this, that like this, this is like maybe what eternity means mm. is that I'm not like, I, I just, if I didn't make the right choices, I would just be on a loop forever. Mm. And if I did make the right choices at a certain point, I would reach, you know, again, you could call it enlightenment. You could call it whatever. Um, but I would, I basically would spend either the rest of my life going back and forgiving myself and, and learning to do, to be perfect for lack of a better word um, in the sense of being whole and loving and um, just complete as an individual. And then, and you know, so because this kind of that way where I can just basically erase all of the hurt and harm that I've ever done and make, you know, just, just wash it clean. Right. Um, and, and be sort of taught and learned in the process um, what it means to be, human and, and like in the most perfect loving cosmic sort of way. So that to me, I, you know, in my head, I thought, okay, that's heaven Mm -hmm. going in this direction. And the other direction is hell. And whichever way you go is eternal because you either get to your birth and who knows, I don't know what happens then. Maybe you start over, maybe, yeah, I'm not sure, 
um, or you get to your death and you loop that way. And so it just was like this, I realized it was just sort of like this thing that almost like a, like a ring that was just sort of always turning inside out on itself. Mm-hmm. And if you turned it one way, it would be just a horrific existence forever. If you turn it the other way, it would be something that you just never wanted to end. It was endlessly fulfilling because you were able to go and you had this, this knowledge and ability to, to, you know, I can go and I can have this conversation with you and I can be like, man, now I know what to do and say to make this, to, to like get to the core of this person and change their life forever and make them a more complete person to go, you know? So like that was heaven and hell and eternity for me. And that was like a really, uh, that was just a mind blowing concept to me at the time, which I wouldn't probably have. Uh, I think that probably sounds pretty strange to a lot of people that I know that were raised in the church mm-hmm. and maybe even kind of against some of the teachings of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was my experience. That was my literal experience. That's not just like a thought I came up with. Um, that's what I remember happening to me. So you were, um, that wasn't something that you thought of after you came down from the drug this was something that you were still experiencing this kind of looping and going back and fixing things while you were still in that state of you know being on the drug yeah and it was part of the coming not coming down from the drug but coming down coming back back to to earth yeah yeah uh, was you know as part of sort of like you know falling back down and maybe even as kind of like a um you know a gauntlet or something like that Mm. as you know as part of coming down so i think it was um, a, just sort of like a preview of what, um, you know, maybe what, for some reason it felt to me like this being Jesus was trying to communicate to me and just say, Hey, you know, here's, here's a different way maybe to look at the things that you've been taught your whole life or, you know, here's Mm -hmm. maybe it was only for me, maybe doesn't make sense to anyone else. I'm not sure. Um, but it was, it definitely felt like wisdom that I was given. It, it really doesn't line up with anything I ever have thought or believed or taught mm-hmm. or was taught in my actual life. And that's, right. that's one of the reasons why I kind of give it a lot of, uh, a lot of thought and a lot of credence still, because I think, you know, it's, it's just not something that I would have like dreamt up or thought up based on my own experiences of my own life. Right. Um, cause it does in a lot of ways, uh, it conflicts with some of the things that I was taught and, and believe before that. Right. Let me ask you this. Are you still Christian today? Um, I, yes, I, uh, th- that word has, uh, I think different definitions in different settings. And so that's, that's why I hesitated a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I think that there are a lot of people that call themselves Christians, especially here and now I'll mm-hmm. say that vaguely, mm-hmm. um, that, say that they're Christians that I would absolutely not associate myself with and I would not want to be compared to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, so for me, I think that word has maybe lost a little bit of the, the meaning behind it. Um, but ultimately, yes, I, I, uh, I subscribe to uh, what is what I believe to be scripture, which, which I think was uh, given to, humanity for a reason and right. you know and is is uh, a guidepost if you will at at the least um so yeah but definitely not your average christian and and definitely one with i think a different uh as you can kind of tell a, you know a different experience uh as well that i kind of have to you know so for me i think christianity is also um a large part of it is just wrestling with 
the unanswered questions and unknowns, which is that's, that's also just being a human being. But um, as it relates to my faith, it's uh, that's a part of the practice mm-hmm. rather than it just being like, ah, oh, that's, that's life. You know, things don't all make sense, but really sort of practicing being present in these things that don't fully make sense and doing your best to commune with God, the universe, what have you uh, to sort of not even necessarily find answers to those questions, but just to find peace uh, in them. Right. You know, if you will. Um, and sometimes answers come and sometimes they never do. And so not being attached to those answers. So I would say yes. And, you know, ultimately I, I do believe, um, you know, that that experience was spiritual and that it happened, if not physically on this particular plane. Right. Um, I do believe that who I uh, talked to was Jesus in, okay. in like a divine form. Sure. Um, and that's, that's just sort of me thinking about it after the fact. Um, but, uh, I, but the tr- truthfully, I don't know. And that's, I think that's difficult for a lot of Christians to say that they don't, that they, you know, this is a, the tradition of our faith. This is what we believe. This is what I think is true. Um, but the evidence is not sufficient for me to know it's true right? outside of just believing. Do you feel that, uh, let's say, after this experience now, did you start studying the Bible more closely, you know, going to Bible school, mm. really getting into more, you know, getting, following more the rules or the teachings of Christ? Did you become, you know, more engrossed in it? Did that change you any way that way, you know? Because I think That's a they, great question. I think that, you know, Christians, you know, some people can say, I just go to church on Sunday and that that's enough for me. And I'm a Christian where some people will go to church on Sunday and on Wednesday, they'll go to Bible study and, you know, and they're more into it. So yeah, they've memorized the entire Bible and read it every year. Yeah. I mean, but so I'm just curious after this experience, did you feel like you got more into it? Um, or you didn't need to get into it because you've already had this experience. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I don't think I particularly did. I, and to be fair, I have, uh, for most of my, you know, upbringing where I, you know, I was in a church setting, um, I was always a critic. I, I remember, you know, as early, my earliest church memories of sitting in the church, you know, I would, I would just be sitting back and hearing, you know, what the, whoever the person was, that was on the stage or addressing the crowd. I remember just thinking, just like poking holes in things and just thinking, ah, oh, it doesn't make sense. Or like, how can that be true? If the other mm-hmm. thing he said over here, those don't mix and you know i always had that um and i always i think i probably know more scripture um than the average christian mm-hmm. i'm you know i'm not definitely don't have any sort of degree or anything like that but mm-hmm. um have you know read tons of books about it and done the studies and all that so i don't particularly think so i i think it did open my mind some um in certain ways i became less um sort of us and them or sort of like adversarial about people who are not Christians and, or even kind of the concept that they're the only truth is the truth that was spoken by the person of Jesus Christ on earth historically, and then written and in this particular book that there maybe was some stuff that maybe he didn't get to, or like uh, maybe that, you know, the, the book has a, has a front and back cover. So like maybe there, it wasn't, done yet or maybe you know maybe there's more truth out there i don't know right um so i i think i became more open to that idea um i did read a lot about uh this was actually while i was still in prison but as i was sort of like coming to terms with the experience that i had there um i had gone to the library there and just gotten um a couple pretty in-depth books about zen buddhism 
And then I also, I read this book, which is extremely heady and difficult to read. Um, but it was, uh, it was a book. I'm trying to remember the, the, the name of it. It's gonna, it's gonna, so I don't remember the name of it. Um, so Carl Jung, uh, I believe he's like a mathematician and he studied, um, a bunch of stuff. Like he, he studied like alchemy as like mm-hmm. another kind of weird, like he just had kind of these weird, uh, I think he had some, I, I really don't know a lot about him. We should, I should just figure that out. But I, I think that um, a lot of AA is based on Carl Jung's work. Yeah, I think, I think so. Yeah. And the, um, so he had a lot of thoughts about God and about the psyche and, uh, and alchemy. And I know that just from reading this book. So this book was, uh, he, Carl Jung had come up with essentially a mathematical equation for uh, the realization of God in the human mm-hmm. soul, or to say more bluntly, uh, he figured out, he like cracked the code of what God was okay. or he thought he had. And then this book was, it's called becoming whole is the name of this book that I read. I don't remember the name of Carl Jung's book or the, the equation, um, but becoming whole was the name of, of this book. And it was about, uh, it was just a breakdown of what it means but what, what, what he wrote means and, and sort of like why mm-hmm. is this very, very complex, uh, circular in shape math equation that kind of, that it was, it was a loop. So you would, you know, this equals this equals this equals this, and it would just loop in on itself. Um, and it's as you kind of went down the chain of this math equation that you were essentially realizing God in that process is very, very deep and out there. Mm-hmm. So I read that book um, and that really, really messed me up. It was, uh, you know, and, and I don't, I don't look at it as uh, necessarily, I, I don't buy fully into it as a concept, but it seemed to me like a guy who just was reaching for just a way to explain sort of like the obvious spiritual connection and like, unity that humans all seem to have that that science didn't fully explain Mm -hmm. um and you know those those weird things like soulmates and being able to look at a person and and know certain things about them it's all kind of the more out there things that happen we don't really know scientifically why or you know physics with with physics or whatever the whatever the science is um and it was just super interesting to me i just felt like he got close or maybe it was just worth looking into and so i did that so I would say I, I did definitely, um, it, it definitely rekindled the spiritual side of me. Um, and, uh, that's still happening. So that's great. Uh, I think this is more of a statement than a question I got from a guest. Sure. Uh, says, thanks for sharing your story. You are a very strong person and a handsome, good looking guy. I that sounds you- like someone I know <laughs> or that I might be related to. Oh, I'm sure you'll it's do hard well to say. in life. So let's um, segue into this. You have a podcast called Worth the Fight, correct? Yes. And what is that about? Tell us what your podcast is about. Yeah, so myself and uh, and I have a co-host as well. His name's Brian. Mm -hmm. Um, He and I just started this podcast actually right kind of at the crest of uh, of quarantine, lockdown, virus, apocalypse. Right. Um, And... We uh, we just decided that we thought, hey, everybody, we've been planning this obviously for a little while, and you know everyone's stuck in their house, so let's do it now. Because what else are they going to do but listen to our podcast? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we started this podcast up. It's about um, we you know we talk to artists, people you know who 
are creators of some type. So maybe they wrote a book, maybe they are a painter or a musician or something. Um, and we talk about a little bit about art, but we like to go a little bit deeper and talk about um, the journey to that art. You know, what, what specifically inspired the work that you do that, you know, that you're famous for that maybe nobody really knows about, or what's, you know, maybe some, uh, you know, we talked a lot with um, this guy named Zach, who is a founding member of a band called Portugal, the man. Um, we talked to him a lot about um, just mental health and his journey and sort of what uh, led him to where he is now and the stuff that you kind of don't see when you, you know, you might be a fan of his band or you'd be like, Oh yeah, that's a cool baseline or whatever. Um, but then, Starting, sort of basically taking people off of this kind of pedestal of, man, you know, I just started learning how to play the guitar or, oh, I just picked up a paintbrush or whatever, or I'm, you know, writing a biography, but no one knows who I am. And showing and, and sort of communicating to our listeners, hey, actually the people that you uh, idolize started off worse than you and worked very, very hard. And that's why they're there. And so it, it just sort of like, you know, the idea hopefully is that they get the message that, uh, that they can do everything that anybody else can do. And, and just sort of talk about that, like the real mechanics rather than sort of like create these like saint, like people that, you know, Oh wow. You know, you are the best at this in the world and you were probably just born that way. And we should all just, you know, idolize you but not really talk about why or what, how you became who you are you know um so that's what we do um and we we go really deep we you know there's not a lot of questions we don't ask but we also like to keep it light and party and talk about whatever so oh, that sounds that's really worth good. the fight yeah i think that's great it sounds like it can be really inspiring for people because once they listen they can realize if hey if this guy can do it i can do it too yeah and even you know the interesting things come up as themes like suicide like you know, because I think we have these inner dialogues, you know, um, and I use Zach as an example because he's the first first uh, guest that we had on the show. But, you know, he starts, he has this band and he's just practicing his instrument all the time. And then he one day he makes it and now he's got, you know, a Grammy Award and he's got this song and it's super popular and he's got this money and he's, you know, he's done it. Right. And then someone like me is trying to maybe do the same thing. And but I'm just feeling every day that I just I'm not good enough that no one believes that I can like, maybe I'm just lying to myself about how good I am or even mm. um, that I might just, if I, if I can't achieve this, maybe I have nothing to give to the world and I should just kill myself. Right. And then to hear my idol say, Oh yeah, I've totally thought about suicide. Mm. And then allowing me to kind of like go, Oh, okay, well maybe we're not that different. Maybe if he can do it and want to kill himself, so can I, right. Uh, that's an extreme example, but it's a real one. Right. Uh, and that, and that happens a lot. So yeah, it's just about that. Um, the easiest way to find us, our logo is there's actually two worth the five podcasts out mm-hmm. there. Um, that we're bitter, bitter enemies. Oh, I actually would love to talk to, to them at some point, but, um, ours has a little, it's a brain uh-huh. with little boxing gloves on it. Okay. And, uh, it's a little, you know, a little cartoon brain mm-hmm. putting up a fight. It's mm-hmm. worth the fight podcast. How often do you post episodes? We typically do every two weeks. Every two weeks. Um, and uh, it's been slowing down right now just because there's just so much going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and because, you know, everything's remote now, right? So, you know, ideally we'd love to have people in the room and, and just be chatting it up in our studio. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've, we have taken a little bit of a break, but definitely not quitting. Um, we've got a couple episodes here coming up. So just excited to see where it takes us. 
are they video like on YouTube or are they audio only or are they both? Right now it's audio. Um, we're doing, we're on all the, wherever you listen to podcasts, the we're there. Places. Um, all the, you know, it's Apple and Spotify and, you know, right. Amazon music now is doing podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're on all those. And, uh, I do think we'll end up being on, um, on YouTube and you just turned me on to Stitcher like five yeah. seconds ago. And so, uh-huh. yeah, we're, we're definitely, we're still growing and, uh, and still looking at just what's, what's out there and what we want to do and, you know, but, but we want to do it intentionally and, and do it right. So, mm-hmm. um, when we do get on those platforms, you know, I want it to look good and, you know, hit my, hit my standards of perfection, if you will. All right. Uh, let me catch another question here. What do you advise people who have suicidal thoughts? Do you have any advice for them? Uh, the short answer is no. Um, I, I, uh, I know I would not, uh, I would not claim to be an expert on that or to, or I would not want anyone's life in my hands necessarily, uh, with, you know, by answering that question. Um, what I would say to somebody if, if they're currently having suicidal thoughts, um, I would just say that, um, you know, in the end you, I think most people who have suicidal thoughts are thinking on some level that they are doing the world a favor. Yeah. Um, and I would just say that that is the opposite of true. Right. Um, I think that you are only causing harm and there will be nothing but tears and pain of the people that you love. If you do that, um, that is the thing that stopped me when I had my experience where I wanted to kill myself. Um, it wasn't there. No one could have told me in that moment that I was valuable or that it wasn't my fault or that there's something to live for kind of those standard things that you hear. I wouldn't have heard any of those things, but I did think about my mom crying mm-hmm. and how she would never get over it. And that for me was enough. Um, and then later, of course, you do realize those things, you know, oh, wow, I actually am valuable. Um, and I'll say this too. I think the, I think when you get to a point of suicide, you, you must have, it's, there's a long road to that point, right? Like no one, no children want to kill themselves. Right. It's not, it's not something that's natural. Um, it takes, you know, a certain amount of experiences over a certain amount of time that just kind of, you look back and you go, man, if I think I see a pattern here. I think the universe is better off without me. Right. Um, and I think that there's a, there's a really big lie in that logic, which is that your value, you know, go back to the concept of ego, that your value is in any way sort of seated in your actions or anything really about your ego, your, the way you look, the way you talk to people, the decisions that you make or have made in the past that maybe you feel guilty for, or all of these things that we think are us, um, that really the, you know, there's nothing that you can do to tell someone this, but the, the realization ultimately is I am valuable because that's the, that's the statement. I mean, you like the, the fact that I am, I is enough to preserve me. Right. Um, and anything beyond that is a lie. I, you know, the, that, that idea that, well, oh, you know, I've got, you know, I'm doing these things and they're helping all these people. And that like, that's not why you're valuable. It's just not why, uh, it's not the way you look. It's not the way you make anyone else feel. It's not anything except the fact that you exist 
And wh- whatever your faith is, uh, or whatever your spirituality or your lack of spirituality is, uh, the statistical significance of your existence is enough uh, to preserve it. Yeah. Like how just the rarity of just you exist, and that's nuts. Like, think of the weirdest, most unlikely thing in the world, and it's not as unlikely as the fact that you're breathing. Yeah. That's, that's impossible. There's no way that happened yeah. based on, you know, you don't, just doesn't happen. And so these are all just reasons I think that, um, you know, you just never know what's on the other side of tomorrow. Right. And it, it could be anything. It could be what you've been hoping for. It could not. But at the end of the day, you know, you are, um, you're, you are just like a, you know, a sack of, value that's that's kind of how i look at that is it just just the air in your lungs is just like gold yeah i like that i heard a guy say this once just being born in the u.s you've already won the lottery sure yeah that's a great point being born at all and even being born and and dying early or being born for a moment being able to open your eyes to have a single breath Hmm. uh is also incredible it's sad to those that have to carry on but i mean also just amazing. I got a nice comment mm. that the, they like your hat. Nice hat. Thank you. This is my pink, I guess it's my my podcast guest hat now. It's Rip and Dip, Rip and which dip. is a, it's like a skate apparel brand. I'm I'm still a skater at heart. I've been skating. I haven't been skating since I was a, a middle schooler, uh-huh. high schooler, but I did back then. And part of me that did that will never die. So oh, that's cool. So here's my little nod to my former self. <laughs> so um, do you have like a Facebook page or a website for your podcast? How do people find out about it? Can they find, you know, maybe if you have a Facebook page, you'll, you'll post like, Hey, next podcast is going to be uh, this guy. Or is there anything else yeah. people can find out about it? Yeah. Yeah. I just heard about Facebook. That seems like a cool website. I yeah. should get going on that. <laughs> um, yes. So, Worth the fight. Worth the fight podcast is where you can find us pretty much everywhere. Um, the we're really active on Instagram, so that is uh, that our username is we are worth the fight. Uh, like we are collectively worth the fight. Um, you can find us that way. Um, we have our website is worth the fight dot blog. Okay, uh, that's our website, and so on there um, we're just kind of getting into apparel as well. So um, we've got this really really cool shirt that I wish I could show you right now, but it's too far away from me, but I'll send you one. Um, and, uh, it says you are worth the fight and it's all in all black. And it's just, we just want to kind of push that message that Mm -hmm. just, you know, like I said, that individuals are valuable, um, just by themselves, just Mm -hmm. intrinsically. Right. Um, so we have that for sale up on worth the fight blog. Um, and then, like I said, if you go to our Instagram or Facebook as well, worth the fight podcast, um, you can see everything else. So all the links to all of the different audio platforms where you can listen to the show. We have five episodes that are live right now. Um, SoundCloud as well. Uh, you can find us there. So like a simple Google search of We Are Worth the Fight, look for the brain. Mm-hmm. And and the boxing gloves. And we're just, and the boxing gloves. And we're all over it. Do you have any other projects that you're working on right now that you want people to know about? Projects? Well, um, I have some that I don't want people to know about because uh because they're still kind of in their early stages um i am one of my other one thing that i had been doing for a long time that uh you know for the sake of this podcast doesn't isn't really related but um i 
have been a musician for a big chunk of my life. And so i um, working on um, a music project right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a little early to say a whole lot more than that, but I'm really excited to sort of see where that goes. Um, I am also a health coach, which is something that I started doing here in uh, during, again, the very beginning of quarantine. Uh, so February-ish, March-ish, whenever I... I don't know. I feel like we're in right. a time warp right now. Right. Um, so I've been doing that and that's been amazing. So I've, I have been able to, um, you know, first off help people who, uh, have a lot of weight to lose or, you know, that, that want to have a goal of losing a lot of fat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I've had really great success with that. I think, um, the unofficial average, it would be about 40 pounds, uh, this year mm-hmm. of people that I've helped lose. Mm-hmm. You know, so, roughly 40 pounds of fat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I myself, not a big dude, but I've lost about 30, I think, uh, in that time as well. So mm-hmm. I'm on my own health journey as well as sort of helping other people along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so if anyone out there is interested in learning more about that, definitely hit me up. That would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really that, you know, those are the two main things. I just, mm-hmm. um, I think right now in this stage of my life, it's just really important that I take, uh, I think I spent a lot of my life being on the receiving end of generosity and wisdom and just like the kindness of others. And uh, I think that this next 30 years, I think that's a country song, my next 30 years, uh, you know, this next chunk of my life mm-hmm. is uh, it's going to be giving that back. And so hopefully I, you know, people hear the message that they have value, that they are quote unquote worth a fight. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and that I'm able to help as many people along the way as I can be that, you know, with their physical health or mental health or, you know, whatever, and hopefully, you know, spread that and then they can do the same. Yeah. I think that's great. Is there a way for people to contact you besides the podcast? Like for example, if they want to, you know, talk about their weight or whatever, how do they talk to you about that? Yeah. So my, uh, my Twitter and my Instagram is just D heart, the letter D and the word heart. Um, that's H A R T or H E A R T. Uh, just like a just like a beating heart. Okay. Uh, just pumping blood through your body. Yeah. Just D heart, one word. Um, and then actually Facebook too. So Facebook.com slash D heart, Instagram.com slash D heart, Twitter.com slash D heart. I got in really, really early on all three of those. Mm-hmm. So I got the I got them all the match, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just D heart, look me up. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd be happy to just talk to whoever needs it um, and help if I can, or maybe point them in the right direction if I can't. Oh, that's great. All right. Before we wrap it up, do you have any final message that you'd like to share with everybody? I'll say two things. Number one, I hope that no one takes anything that I say as advice or, or gospel. Um, I think that I am not any better, more wise, or even necessarily more experienced than the next person. Um, and nothing's more valuable than your own experience. So, um, you know, I obviously am flattered and appreciate anyone who asks any advice or anything like that. But, um, you know, really, I, I think that your strength lies within yourself. That's what I would say to, to anyone. Um, and to the other thing would be, and this is just a theme in my life. I have it tattooed over my heart is, uh, along those lines is know yourself. You know, if there's a journey, um, if, the, if there's a fight worth fighting on this earth, you know, whatever you believe, uh, you know, again, spiritually or in terms, you know, whatever your individual beliefs on anything might be, 
um, I think we can all agree that there's value in investing and educating yourself on yourself. Um, and so that's, that's what I do. That's what I try to help other people to do. And that's, um, that would be my parting words is know thyself. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, all right, before we go here, let me give you one last positive for you. I got a nice, nice. comment that says, thank you for your positive message. You are a cool guy. And I agree with that. Thank you. Um, Dustin. I actually just typed that myself. Oh, you did? (laughs) Yeah. That's from you. Yeah. (laughs) A little affirmation. That's great. Um, Dustin, thank you so much for opening up, sharing your experience with us. I wish you massive success with your podcast. I wish you even more success with your music career. I hope you make it big time, win a Grammy, so I can get, now that I know you before, I can get you back. Excellent. And get Grammy a winning it. Dustin Fox on my podcast. <laughs> That'll be real. At that point, then then I will have made it. Yeah. Get back, come back to your podcast yeah. with the trophy. That's exactly. Be. You know, and um, I can say, see, I had him here first. It's you. It really, you're the one. That's when my career started. Was just right now. No. And no, then no, after no. you. No, I don't want to put it on me. Not at all. I'm just saying that I had you. And now I now I'm able to get you back since I had you before. Because you got in early. Yeah. I oh, Jeff, I, I appreciate you as well. This has been a ton of fun um, and probably therapeutic for me. And I mm-hmm. hope somebody else um, got something out of it. And, uh, you know, again, if anybody for any reason just wants to reach out to me and, and say hi, uh, please do. All right. Thanks. Thank you very much. And uh, I hope you have a great evening. You as well. Talk to you soon, my friend. All right. Bye-bye.